This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on 101.9 High FM. My guest today is Professor Henry Erwig, and he's in London at the moment, having just returned from Germany, but he actually lives in Boston. And our topic is the courage of the individual to stand up against injustice. Hello, Henry. How are you? Hi, uh, Sue. So I'm good. And you? I'm fine, thank you. We need to thank your brother, Les Erwick, in Australia. Les is a very cherished friend of mine, and he brought this remarkable story, which Henry will share with us, to my attention. And I met Henry, actually, it was four years ago, Henry. Can you believe it already? It's unbelievable. Yeah, I know. No, time flies. It- Henry, I would like to start about just talking a little bit about you and uh, Dietmar and and Rudy Zimek. The three of you brought the story about Arthur Samuel, your great uncle, to the light. And I want you to tell us in a moment how that came about. But Henry was born in Johannesburg, South Africa, and he moved to the United States and settled in Boston in 1980 with his wife and his two children. He is a professor in engineering. Is that right? In, and uh, yeah, yes, I was. I was and subsequently retired. Retired, but you were at the MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and which is very impressive to us in South Africa. You're now retired, but you still are, are sought for, for advice, sometimes from your, your old uh, pupils, which is also lovely. That's just a very short intro of you. But Dietmar uh, Zimek was born in um, Geversdorf, and he spent his childhood in the banks of the Oster in Geversdorf and his youth on the edge of the Winx Forest in Kandenberger. The story that we are about to hear focuses around Kandenberger. Then Dietmar's brother, Rudy, who unfortunately passed away earlier this year, he spent his youth in Kandenberg also, in the neighborhood of Arthur Samuel. Right, tell us about this story, but first of all, how you came to meet. You say it was a coincidence. I say it's God's way of remaining anonymous. Uh, yeah, I would say the same thing, actually. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's a strange story. I was working at my desk, uh, it was probably about two years ago. Take a break from time to time, and often what I do is uh, just take a look at the news. And so uh, one of the news uh, papers I look at is the BBC News uh, on my computer. And I saw an article, there was an odd article about a situation that happened in a place called Kiel, which is in the Hamburg district of Germany. And somehow that reminded me of uh, my great uncle who I visited in 1964. So that's that's almost 60 years ago. Uh, I visited him for about three days. Uh, he was the only surviving, uh, only surviving sibling of eight, um, six of them, and their families were murdered in the uh, in the Nazi period. 
Um, the uh, other one was my grandmother who emigrated to South Africa just before the Second World War. Anyhow, so uh, I said, oh, well, let me take a look. I looked at Google Map to see if I could see the little town where I visited him. Uh, I didn't remember the name and uh, on the map and I really didn't know where to look. I knew it was somewhere in the region of Hamburg and I gave up. Anyhow, a little while later, I uh, took another break. I thought, okay, let me put in his name. His name was Arthur Samuel. And of course, uh, up popped, you know, 100 Arthur Samuels all over the world. I said, well, you know, this is getting a little bit stupid. Put it away. <laughs> And uh, then a little while later, uh, I took another break, and I thought, okay, let me try one last time. And I put in his name, Arthur Samuel, and the word for, like, the king of the village fair, roughly translated, Titsenkernik, I put that in after his name. And what popped up was his wedding picture with his, uh, with his non-Jewish wife, the same picture, uh, that appeared that there was in my uh, in in a family pho- photograph album that my father had given to my brother Leslie and, and me, and I thought this is incredible. You know, sixty years or fifty-eight years later, this picture should just appear. Anyhow, the picture was in an article from the Lower Saxony uh, Broadcasting Corporation, and it was an English version of that article. And it referred to a, a video cast, which I could access quite easily. And in it, there was a, a an interview with these two brothers, Rudy and and Dietmar, by a journalist of the uh, uh, of the of the radio stations called of the TV station called NDR, and her name is uh, Christina von Suss. Anyhow, uh, after a little to and fro, I found Rudy's email. I wrote to him, and not more than 12 hours later, he wrote back to me, and uh, that's how we initially established contact. Your contact, actually, was because the three of you were interested in Arthur Samuel, and the three of you knew Arthur Samuel, but you didn't realize Uh, that at the time when you made contact with them, did you? uh, Yes, I did, because the article article and the picture related to the research that these two brothers were doing into Arthur Samuel. So they had established an interest a couple of years beforehand. Okay, we'll get back to that. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on 101.9 High FM. My guest today is Professor Henry Erwick, and we're discussing his story about his great uncle, Arthur Samuel, how he survived in Nazi Holocaust era. So they had started their research a, a few years before that. Why did they start that? They lived uh, just around the corner from where Arthur and his wife Eugenie lived. They were, you know, young boys at the time. They were playing soccer on the road, and he would pass by. I mean, at that time, uh, you know, he was in his eighties. He was at the same age, uh, 
more or less, when I saw him. And he passed by with his dog uh, on the way for a walk in the meadow. And they'd greet each other. And, um, uh, you know, that was the start of the relationship. But why did they, why were they interested in him? Their interest grew because they came across a little booklet that was published locally about various uh, buildings in uh, the small town, Kartenberger. And the booklet had a little bit of the history of some of the houses. It had a picture of the house before, or the building picture, and then it had a bit about the ownership. And um, the ownership of one of these buildings, uh, which is now the pharmacy in Kartenberger, the history said that it was previously owned by Arthur Samuel. And they were surprised by this because they never knew about it. Uh, it also said he was Jewish. And that prompted them to start thinking about how how a Jew could survive in that village during the Hitler during the Hitler period. Mm. Uh and that's that's what prompted their research. Okay. Uh and then I came uh, you know, I came by later, it was after they started on their initial research and they invited me to join them. So their interest was probably also piqued by the fact that they knew him as a nice old man walking his dog and uh, who used to greet them when they greeted him. Would you say that's probably part of, of this, that he was a nice man and they remember him because of that? Uh, yeah, certainly. It was that and the fact that they didn't realize he was Jewish and then the question of how did he, how did he survive? But it, it was interesting uh, just to divert a little bit. When I was in Kahnberg at the invitation of the mayor of the town and uh, the, the mayor of the district just recently, uh, we stopped by, uh, Arthur's house and the people in the house came out. Uh, these people had bought the house just after Arthur had died. Uh, and the woman in the house uh, remembered Arthur because her mother was uh, the helper of Arthur. Good heavens. Uh, and, and, and she said, you know, she said the same thing. You know, he's a very nice man. In fact, she said that... Uh, uh, often her mother, when she wanted to discuss you know, something in her life, would sit down with Arthur and speak to him about it. So that was a little bit more, you know, of a kind of confirmation from another neighbor mm, mm. Uh, about his uh, character. And I actually saw you speaking in German. I was impressed, by the way, and uh, speaking to her there, saying that uh, uh, you, it was your great uncle was Sam, was Arthur. Right now, one of the reasons why I felt this was very necessary to have this program, and I know you agree with me, is because anti-Semitism is once again on the rise. Uh, baseless hatred is appearing everywhere, whether it's anti-Semitic or Islamophobic. There's a lot of hatred at the moment in the world. And one of the things that you said when you gave a lecture to school children, which we will get to in a moment, but one of the things you said was fight against condemnation, persecution and anti-Semitism require personal commitment. It is important that good and courageous people are willing to help their fellow human beings. 
Now, what you said then is so important for today's world. Right now, in November 2023, you and the Zinmax brothers also felt that you wanted to spread the word, that each person had a responsibility. Am I correct in thinking that? Yes, absolutely. As did uh, the two mayors in uh, in Germany. And I see that you say that you, the title of the website is In the Footsteps of Arthur and Eugenie Samuel and that you had decided on, the, on this very quickly um, to, to make their, their memories alive and that two of the authors we said had were able to get to know Arthur Samuel personally as children and you got to know him later. For those who have just tuned in, that's important just to remember that these three men were uh, met online if it wasn't for Google and Safari and what have you, you would not have met. But you did meet and you formed a friendship over over Zoom and Internet, didn't you? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we, we, no, we worked pretty hard together for uh, initially for probably uh, three, four months till uh, Rudy and we were going to put together a publication and uh, – Rudy then came up with the idea of doing a website and, uh, I said, okay, we'll do a website and somehow it grew and grew and grew and grew. Um, but certainly, and, and we worked on that for really for a good year, for a good year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so through that collaboration, which involved a lot of Translation <laughs> backwards and forwards, sure. uh, and given and give and take, you know, um, by all three of us, uh, actually more give than take by everyone. Uh, you know, we we you know we we became very uh, came very close, and so. Uh, uh, that sort of certainly led to friendship. I'm sure. Now, going back to your time, right now, on the 85th anniversary of Kristallnacht, you were in Germany. Who met you at the airport? Rudy, who passed away, he, he had passed away beginning of the year. His wife uh, met me and Dietmar met me. Now, both of whom I'd never met in person before. And how, what did it feel like actually meeting them face to face? Uh, you know, it was like meeting old friends, actually more oh. Ditma because, uh, although I'd seen, uh, Rudy's wife Sabina, you know, I hadn't had too much interaction with her, but, um, she and her husband were close and so, you know, they shared a lot of the, they shared a lot of the, the interaction on the, making the website and also she, uh she uh did a lot of the help uh editing editing uh the website including my bad german <laughs> so when you were together um were you speaking english or were you speaking german mostly mostly german my german improved well tremendously over four days but uh you know when i got a little tired i said okay now english and uh, we spoke <laughs> english they, they both could speak english you know recently probably even better than my 
in my uh, in my German. When you were in Germany, how did you get involved with going and speaking to uh, schools and uh, pupils about Arthur Samuels? Yeah, for for me, that's that's really the most interesting part. Uh, Rudy and Dietmar, especially Rudy, uh, have been in close contact with, you know, where he grew up and, and, and with the mayor of the small town and also the mayor of the larger district. And, um, a number of occasions they had extended an invitation, um, to us to come to the town and do that. So they were, they were interested, uh, in doing something specially uh, related to the school children. And, and uh, it was about the Holocaust that they wanted you to speak. Exactly, exactly about the subject that you mentioned earlier. Uh, you know, how, how, how can you resist, um, and fight, uh, prejudice and anti-Semitism? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I might add to that, that, uh, you know, obviously, it was quite an extensive program over the four days that they put together, and uh, uh, so that takes that takes a little time and effort. Uh, and at one point, it, it was just going a little slow. And I wrote to Dietmar, I said, "Look, uh, you know," and, and this was after October the seventh. Oh. Uh, I said, "If this is kind of a little bit awkward at this point, because I had no idea." Uh, then, you know, we can do this some other time. And, uh, uh, they, they'd spoken to both mayors who said, absolutely not. This is absolutely the right time. This, we, no, we need this now. So, wow. uh, the opposite is true. We do not want to postpone this. We want to do it now. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, um, you know, one of the, uh, w- one of the meetings with the public was actually on, uh, November the 9th, which was the 85th anniversary of Kristallnacht. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of reference to that mm-hmm. by, uh, uh, by folks who spoke. Did you find that the students that you were talking to, did they, did they know about the massacre of the 7th of October? I'm sure they knew. It didn't come up directly in any of the questions mm. uh, that were asked. Uh, you know, they, they, they're teenagers sort of uh, between, they were between 15 and, say, 17. So, uh, they, you know, they're a little awkward and shy. Uh, but, um, yeah, there was, there was just some, there wasn't direct reference to it during the, during the talk. I'm sure they knew because they, they in fact had preparation by the, in fact by the headmasters of the two schools oh. ahead of the meeting. So once you were talking to them, did you find that they were very interested? Where did you get their um, attention? Uh, the one school was a was a larger school, uh, about uh, same region, about uh, twelve miles from Kardenberger. 140 students there in quite a big hall. Uh, and, uh, the, the, in fact, it was very impressive. They, they were wrapped by the presentations that Dietmar and, uh, uh, and I made. Uh, there were introductions by the headmaster and introductions by others. 
and uh, they were hugely attentive. And afterwards, uh, the mayor of Kahnenberger came up to me and said, Henry, that, that was fantastic. I don't know how we're going to beat this experience in the second school, which was a smaller school. Uh, the smaller school, uh, they were also attentive, but less, uh, fewer questions, fewer questions, maybe a bit more participation by the headmaster, so maybe they were a little bit more intimidated. Okay. This is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program, and my guest today is Professor Henry Erwig, and we are talking about courage it takes to stand up against hatred. And Henry is has just returned from Germany. He's in London at the moment. He resides in Boston. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. We're getting back to your time with the students there. In between your talks, how long were your, when you did talk to them, how long were you given each time? Each of us, Ditma and I were given, we took about 15, about 15 minutes each. And then I would say that the introductions uh, and the conclusions were probably a total of, uh, uh, maybe between five and ten minutes each. And then the questions, certainly in the larger school, questions were, probably went on for a good twenty minutes. And how did you feel about that? What did it do to you? Well, you know, in, 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 in retrospect, looking know, back. Yeah, but don't quite don't know how to answer that. I mean, it, 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 uh, I guess in retrospect, it all feels a bit like a fairy tale. You know, it, it, it just, you know, the, the, the coincidences, the, uh, involvement of the mayor, the two mayors involvement of the pastor of this, uh, community who was fantastic. In fact, let me tell you a bit about him because yeah. Arthur and Eugenie's grave is in the Christian. He was the only Jew in town. His grave was in the Christian cemetery. Oh. There was the only cemetery there. Right. And after no one expressed any interest in the grave in Germany for 30 years, it can get deconsecrated. The church, under the direction of this pastor, passed a resolution that the stone should never be removed, should remain there forever. And I saw a photo of it, and it's very well kept, that cemetery and the stone. Uh, it, oh, it is. And the pastor takes his congregation there every so often. In oh. fact, he took them there on the day of Kristallnacht. He takes members of his congregation there for the explicit purpose of dangers of prejudice. Mm. And so in between all of this, you met the pastor. Who else did you meet that you were able to interact with? Any other friends of Dietmar's or Rudy's? I met a friend of his, but, you know, they'd left the town many years back. So, uh, but they, they certainly uh, met Dietmar's elder sister, who also lived around the corner from Martha, who remembered him. And then in an evening session, I met, there must have been somewhere between 15 and 20 people there, like a little celebration. Again, Dittman and I gave a talk there, uh, and at that one, uh, uh, Sabine also joined us. Uh, and there were many questions there, and uh, I had the chance to chat to quite a few, quite a few people at that meeting, probably of the, you know, the, 15 people there, probably 
certainly in uh, answer, question and answered spoke to seven people and then a, a few came by, uh, by and asked us questions or made comments afterwards. So it was really a very worthwhile visit. I would like to just pick up on your grandmother for a moment. Looking back to you when you met your grandmother as a little boy, when you knew your grandmother, did she ever talk about the Holocaust? She spoke about her life in Germany before. She certainly spoke about her one sibling who remained alive, Arthur. And she, you know, it was a long time ago, so my recollection's not perfect. But uh, I did know she had uh, seven, you know, she was one of eight siblings. Mm. But I did not know what had happened to them in any kind of any kind of detail till I joined uh, Dietmar and Rudy in this research. Mm. As a result of that, you know, I I kind of uh, did a bit of uh, ancestry research, um, which I was never interested in before, and and really established what had happened to most of those uh, brothers and sisters of my grandmother Amelia and uh, and and Arthur, and they they were all they were all murdered, including their families in Germany on the east. Most of their most of their families, although there are a, a number of family members who, through you know just terrible circumstances, managed to survive, but not in Germany. They they were in camps and they moved from one place oh. to another and eventually settled. Um, most of them settled in Australia in the end. Mm. A lot of Holocaust survivors did go to Australia. And you, you spoke about your father, your, at the album that your, you'd got from your dad that he had uh, done for uh, you and Les. Just tell me, how did that, how did your father present those photos to you, the two of you? Did he speak about his family or? I, you know, I can't quite remember. I, uh, I, you know, we did, we certainly didn't go through the album kind of page by page. Oh. Um, uh, you know, if I can recall, he spoke about what was what was in them, uh, and certainly, but uh, Leslie and I have looked at it from time to time, um, and uh, you know, found things in it which. Uh, uh, which, uh, you know, have been useful. Mm. And I can give you an example. Uh, uh, my father still has a cousin who, uh, who was the youngest of all the cousins now. So this is my father's side. Arthur was on my mother's side. Yes. Uh, and he is a very well-known professor of physics here in the UK in Oxford. And, um, he was putting together a lecture for um, uh, for a Jewish organisation in in Oxford called and he called the uh, presentation the Four Sisters, which were his mother and her three sisters, one of which was my grandmother. Okay. Um, and uh, as he was putting that together. Uh, uh, I helped him just a very, very little bit, but I found a picture of his mother and his father's wedding, which he had never oh, had. Gosh, is that sad? And so now, now he has that, and I have the copy in uh, in the album. So oh. it's been, you know, it's had some usefulness besides just sitting in our in our bookshelves. But it sounds quite amazing that you also went 
online, which there was never that opportunity, grow, you know, for our generation growing up. But for the younger generation, I know that one of the things you said to them when you gave them a talk was use the opportunities you can get online to find out more about our world and what, you know, what went, came before. It's important, isn't it, to know what came before in order to not make the same mistakes going forward, which we already are making, if you think. We are. And, you know, what I what I kind of underlined in the talk as well is that, um, you know, you, you, you need to be a little persistent. Uh, you know, you can't just go to a web page and say, oh, that's interesting, go away. If there's something that's of interest to you, uh, you might want to dig a little further because that's mm. really how you get to learn and, uh, also, you know, maybe find the truth because there's so much untruths on the, on the, on the web. So it requires some persistence and some, some analysis. So true. You know, I looked up my grandfather. I hadn't heard much about him at all from my father. And I decided just also on the off chance that I'd look him up. It took me to his web, his site. He was, uh, he was killed in Burma in, in, uh, the Second World War. And they, it actually took me to his grave. And mm-hmm. which was, you know, no one had ever seen. I sent it on to my uh, nephews and nieces and our family because it was quite amazing. I could not believe that Google would suddenly pop up with my grandfather's gravestone. So it, it we actually in in our in this time we do have so much opportunity to look up history. It, it, it is amazing, and there's also a time dimension here. You know, if I'd gone to if I'd gone to the, the web uh, one year before I actually did, there wouldn't have been anything there. Good heavens! Uh, That's the coincidence you talk about. Yeah, it's coincidence. Also, kind of underlines that you know, if there's something that takes your interest, you you know, you can't just leave it and hope that you can come back to it later Mm. because it may not be there. Absolutely. And when you left the when you left Germany, what did it feel like saying goodbye to Dietmar, especially? Well, you know, we. We, we've been working hard after that, so uh, it, it, you know, it didn't feel very, very different. Uh, you know, there's an article that was published. There's been other contacts. Uh, subsequently, I just got a, uh, we just got a wonderful letter from the mayor of the district uh, thanking us for coming and commenting on um what the headmasters told him just the day before yesterday when he met them about our sessions. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, although we'll not be working as hard, the, the contact, you know, the contact will, you know, will, will, will carry on hopefully. And the magazine, I, I actually saw the one, um, article, um, which was on Saturday, November the 11th that came out. And it said, magazine at the weekend, how Arthur Samuel survived the Nazi era. You have your own opinion on how he survived. What do you think uh, attributed to his survival? You know, that, that was the purpose of our search. Uh, and and I, it's clear that there were a number of, you know, a number of reasons. Uh, one was he was 
he was very integrated into the into the into the town. You know, he, he was strongly member of the town. Uh, two, he always looked to the future, and and he had a an outlook which I think was uh, was uh, based on his liberal Jewish uh, upbringing. Um, uh, clearly, the people in the town played a very big role uh, as as well. Uh, his wife was non-Jewish, and from what I can gather, speaking to other so- other sources, such as the Wiener Library, uh, the Holocaust Library here in London, uh, that wouldn't have protected him at least near the end of the near the end of the war. No, it wouldn't. We'll get uh, back to that in a moment. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on 101.9 High FM. My guest today is Professor Henry Erwick, and we're discussing his story about his great uncle, Arthur Samuel, how he survived in Nazi Holocaust era. And the people that Henry met who was wor- who were working with him, Dietmar and Rudy Zinmek, and it's a wonderful story of, of how Arthur actually survived as a Jew in this time. And we especially are wanting to talk about this now as the anti-Semitism is on the rise again. Henry, right, so we were talking about how, what you thought attributed to uh, Arthur's survival. So can we get back to that again? You were saying he was married to a a Gentile woman, Eugenie. There was a factor, but uh, from my conversations with uh, others, including people at the Wiener Holocaust Library here in London, that was never a reason not to persecute Jews, especially towards the end of the period, you know, just uh, approaching the end of the Second World War, 44 and 1944 and 45. And then a survival as well, you know, the war ended in uh, 1945, you know, if it had gone until 1946, uh, you know, things may have changed, uh, we don't know. But it, it, it's sort of all of those things together in a, in a mix. And you also said when you gave your talk that there there are two basic issues which you wanted to draw students' attention to. Do you remember what those were? The empathy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, um, And and the students seem to relate to that uh, quite well. Uh, the the one was uh, the need for an importance of empathy and generosity, towards, uh, which character to, towards the other. Yes. Yes. To uh, yeah, uh, now that characterised uh, Arthur and the and the community uh, at the time he lived there, and I think it also characterised the joint work that Rudy and Dietmar and I. Did, to, did together. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the uh, the other one uh, was uh, uh, inquisitiveness and initiative, and I, I, we spoke a little bit about that side of things a little while back mm-hmm. when we spoke about the internet and the need to uh, you know to, there's something that interests you that you need to pursue it and then. 
take it as far as you want to go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And for anyone who actually wants to read this story, because that's what your project ended up in almost a book form. It's particularly interesting. And um, you can go onto the homepage, Arthur.Samuel, a small s, dot D, D-E. And you'll find the story there. If you're uh, German speaking, obviously, it will be in German. But you can trans- have gone to Google Translate, and it will come up as English if you want it in English or any other language. It, it does translate quite well. But just a slight correction, it's Arthur. Dash. Oh, it's a dash. Samuel, no, okay. Yeah, it's a uh, dash Samuel dot D-E. D-E, okay. And it's really very worth uh, reading the story. It's it's very interesting. Now, Arthur's also moved to Lower Saxony. And plus, the other thing that he did do was uh, he was known as a, an incredibly good uh, a shot. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I, you know, I, I, I don't... Um, now, they had these kind of village organizations centered around a shooting because in that area in particular, you know, there, there are a lot of ducks, geese, all kinds of uh, things. They now have wolves there. So I don't know that he was ever a good shot. I, I think it was more the position that he had as king of the, you know, king of the, of the riflemen, if you want to call it that. <laughs> It's more a, more a matter of uh, uh, of being part of the you know, part of the town rather than being a, rather than being a good child. But it was unusual uh, Jews to uh, to to be you know king of the king of the king of rifles anything. or whatever you want to call them. Mm. Yeah, king of yeah. anything. And but you say that Arthur's empathy and his fair treatment of local farmers as well as his generosity in supporting the young people of Klandenberger, also could have played a part in people reaching out to him when he was stripped of all his, his he was a cattle, uh, cattle trader, and all of that was stripped from him. But the local people did support him, didn't they? Uh, covertly, yeah. obviously, but he was supported in ways. Yeah, that's the only, that's the only way he survived mm-hmm. is because they supported him. They, you know, they, they smuggled food to him. I mean, he was, he, make no mistake, he was persecuted. You know, his business was taken away from him. His house was taken away from him. He had to work many years as a road worker. Uh, he was impressed into service. His wife was uh, had to work in the fish factory in Cookshafen nearby um, to make uh, ends meet, um, uh, and then eventually he had to work in a in a sawmill in the in the in the forest. So uh, now he had he had a rough, very rough time. But in any event, the only reason that was possible for him. To, you know, exist, survive there was through the help of not only one person, the, the help of many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems, it seems like there, that it, from what I learned, it seems like that help couldn't have come without any knowledge of the Nazi party. In fact, the mayor of that town at the time was Nazi. So the Nazis knew 
that he was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, uh, because of the, apparently because of the, uh, of, of the people and his stature in the town chose to kind of let it be as opposed to do anything. He was, he did, they did arrest him. They re- arrested him on Kristallnacht, in fact. Oh, did they? And he spent, yeah, he spent uh, quite a few weeks in the, in the, in the, in the prison. How he was let out, and we don't, we don't know. In fact, quite a few Jews who went into, went even into concentration camps were let out and then they went back in. Mm. Mm, that's very interesting, you know, because one of the things which I've, I've said so often lately that whenever I have interviewed or met a Holocaust survivors, one of their greatest emotional pains have been the bystanders who did nothing. They could have been their neighbors, could have been their work with someone they'd worked with, and they stood by and did nothing while, while they were they the Jews were sent off to cattle carts cars to um the concentration camps, and that has often been their greatest hurt and they've said that they expected bad treatment from the Nazis and the poles in the concentration camps, but they didn't expect the by the the people that they knew the bystanders to turn on them and to keep silent as they did. So your story highlights a very different perspective on what people can do if they are prepared to stand up and make a difference. And it takes huge courage to do so. What Absolutely. Ne- what, what is your next project? <laughs> I'm trying to get over this, get over this one. <laughs> no, I, I, Sue, I, I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> well, I would like you, especially in this time of darkness descending on the world, to actually think very carefully about bringing this story a bit more to people, letting more people read about it, perhaps in America, in the UK, where you are right now. Certainly, this will go out in South Africa and to all our listeners. And uh, I hope that. You well, we have, we, we have, we have. Sorry to interrupt. We, ha- mm-hmm. we have indeed spoken about uh, two things. One is uh, uh, getting the uh, doing the web page in English, uh, and two also um, uh, doing a book. Uh, on the, uh, from the, from the webpage. Uh, that's already been prepared, but, uh, we've got a way to go before we find a way that we can kind of distribute that. Well, well done. We, I'm being told to wrap up and you told me yesterday to only have you on air for five minutes. Well, we've been together for a lot longer than that. Thank you so much, Henry, for being with me, for sharing the story. And is there anything you would like to end by saying? Uh, no, thank you for having me. I don't think I thanked you yet. I gave you all kinds of grief about 15 minutes and so on. <laughs> Five minutes, so. never mind. <laughs> <laughs> and so thank you, thank you very much. And I, you know, I look forward to hearing from folks, uh, and, and, and continuing this. So I very much appreciate it too and all the best. Thank you so much, Henry. God bless and enjoy your stay in London. 
Okay. Thank Bye. you. And thanks to your system too. Bye-bye. Thank you, Bye. Thanks. Bye.